Welcome to Career Tools. Mark's College Talk, Part 2. Here we go. We'll be back in Palo Alto, December 3rd and 4th, with our Effective Manager and Effective Communicator conferences. This is the last time you can see us in Silicon Valley before the new year. So if you've got training budget to use up, this is your chance. Register today at manager-tools.com forward slash training. Okay, so Wendy, we're picking up at this second of three large ideas in this cast. The first one, we laid out how we recommend college and university students prepare for professional interviews um, by corporations who understand behavioral interviewing, which is most of them that can afford to come to college campuses. The next thing is we want to do, we want to walk through at a high level the five phases of all interviews and just touch on the key things you've got to do to be effective in your interviews. Remember, that's the second part. The third part of this cast will be, we'll talk about uh, our recommendations for how to transition from being a college student, a university student, to becoming a professional. And uh, it's important. It's a major life change. Um, and it's worth doing well. Uh, okay, so when it comes to interviews, there are five phases, actually six when you count preparation, because you'll see that there's actually one here in our five that happens after the interview. Most people would say there are only three parts, and those three parts are the introduction, the chit-chat at the beginning, the answers that you give, and then the questions you get to ask, those are the three parts. They're wrong. There's actually six parts. There's preparation before that, then introductions, then your answers, then your questions, then the closing moment, which no one else teaches, and it's too bad for them. We win, they lose. Uh, and then lastly, follow-up, which too many people forget to do or think that an email is good enough. Okay, so let's talk about introductions. Um, we're going to assume that you're interviewing, that you're, you're, the company you're interviewing for is interviewing uh, perhaps in, in a hotel room, in an office, uh, in a, uh, some area where they're behind a door. And one of the first things we notice as an interviewer is the quality of your knock. And you think that's a joke, but it is amazing to us that we're in a hotel suite and someone knocks on a door so lightly that we're sitting, we might be sitting 20 feet away from them. They don't know that. And they knock so lightly that we can't hear it from five or six feet away. Mm -hmm. um, so first bit of guidance, you have to knock like you mean it, folks. I have to be able to hear you. Now, I don't want you to pound with the butt of your hand on the door. You're still going to be using your knuckles. Or make a pattern like with the noise. <laughs> yeah, no patterns or anything else. Just bop, 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 okay? That's fine. With your knuckles, okay? Uh, with the knuckles of the hand you are, your, your dominant hand, so you're nice and strong. Um, but this is not a polite knocking at a lady's dressing room door to say five minutes before you go on, okay? This is, I'm going to get your attention, okay? Um, because, frankly, if we're in an interview, you will need to get our attention, to be really good at interviewing, we have to focus. And we forget the time sometimes. Okay. Second thing, 
The most common and tragic error in modern college interviewing today is the absence of a smile. Okay? You have to smile in an interview if you want to be seen as having the trait or characteristic of friendliness, of cheerfulness, of getting along with other people, uh, of uh, social skills. Uh, there is a word that is damning many college students today to uh, uh, secondary status relative to their job uh, dreams and desires, and that is the idea of authenticity. You know, Mark, I'm not much of a smiler, so I'm not going to smile. Well, unfortunately, authenticity is running up against the much larger, much more important fundamental principle of social and societal norms. Okay. If you are not a person who smiles or, or, you know, Mark, I don't shake hands, for instance. Unfortunately, whether you do or don't is irrelevant to the company other than we expect you to do it. And if you don't, you won't fit in here. If you can't smile when you meet someone for the first time because I'm too nervous or, you know, that's just not me or I'm a serious person, we're not going to hire you. And you can crow from the rooftops all you want. You missed the best candidate. We don't think so, because one of the traits and characteristics we look for are sociability, friendliness, cheerfulness, the ability to get along with other people. We like to say at Manager Tools that the definition of conflict is two human beings in the same county. So if you're going to put a thousand people in the same office building, you're going to have conflict. Unless you have etiquette and politeness and social graces and smiling and forgiveness, we're going to tear each other apart. If you walk into an interview stone-faced, trying to show that you're tough or no-nonsense or you're just too nervous or I don't like to smile, we're not going to hire you. I'm sorry, we're not. We expect you to be able to work with other people. You're going to learn very quickly when you start working, it's not the smartest people that get ahead. It's the smartest people who get on with other people. It's results yes. and relationships. If you're going into an interview thinking, well, I'm not a very personable person, but I'm super smart, and then you get rejected, the, it, the reason you're being rejected is because that doesn't work in an organization. You have to be smart and get on with people. And by smart, we mean not just that you know more than anybody else, because Satya Nadella, the, Nadella, the, the present CEO of Microsoft, we're recording this in uh, late 2019, uh, Satya Nadella said, uh, very often, the learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all, meaning smart in that you crave knowledge, you want to learn, you pay attention to your successes and your failures, you incorporate those learnings, and you consistently get better. Uh, as the Army Ranger phrase goes, good, better, best, never let me rest until my good is better and my better best. So you're going to have to smile, okay? If you need to practice, practice. And the rule is you have to show your teeth. Otherwise, it seems like it's a diminished smile, like you're just paying homage to this social norm, this cultural norm that you don't agree with. If you give a very quick no teeth smile, that's actually almost worse than no smile at all. Okay, that's smiling. Uh, some people won't be able to do it, and there's nothing more I can say about it. Handshaking. I'll just be very brief. We have a, the longest podcast in Manager Tools history is 55 minutes long. It's a one-parter. It's called How to Shake Hands, I think. Yep. Um, and it's been downloaded millions of times. It's one of our most popular podcasts. And 
if you're interviewing in the modern professional world, that's the way to do it. It doesn't matter where you're from in the world. It doesn't matter your gender or your age. There is a right way to shake hands. And we teach you how. There are 10 different components of the handshake. You'll be shocked at how specific we are about the key to a good handshake has nothing to do with your grip pressure. It has to do with how you grip hands. And we explain what to do to make sure it goes well. So I'll just leave it as you should have a handshake. It should be firm and it should be brief. Okay, next, you have to use my first name. Now, if, if I introduce myself to you as Mr. Horseman, which would just be weird, then you would refer to me as Mr. Horseman, but I don't know any, I've never heard of any recruiter ever doing that. No. The only people that do that are in academia where they want to be called Dr. Horseman. Yes. Yeah, oh, I'm Dr. Horseman. <laughs> okay. Sure, dude. Um, so remember... I'm going to probably say, hello, I'm Mark Horstman. It's your turn now to say your name. You're thinking, oh, you know who I am. You've got my resume. You've reviewed it. You're prepared to interview me. And you're focused only on making sure you learn my name. But in fact, I'm interviewing 15 people today. Your name is irrelevant to me right now because in 10 seconds, I'm going to be able to read it off of your resume. You have to tell me your name. And when you say your name in an introduction, you say it in two parts with emphasis on the first part, the part that is the name you wish to be called, your given name rather than your surname. So notice I don't say, hi, I'm Mark Horseman. Because if you're not paying attention, did I say Marcus? Mm -hmm. Did I say Mar Horstman? You don't know. So what you do is say, hi, I'm Mark Horstman. Like that. You put a, a full stop after your first name, and your first name is in all caps, and your second name is in lowercase with a separation. That's how you do it. Tell me your name. Okay. Then you've got to walk to the chair that you're going to be sitting in with a little bit of energy. You can't stroll. You can't say, I'm just a relaxed person. Yeah, and you got to say, I'm excited to be here. I want to get yes. into this chair and tell you all about myself. Yeah, so walk briskly, okay? And then, before we ask you any big questions, we're going to want to chit-chat with you. We expect some conversational warm-up from you. So you're going to have to know your current events. You should know national news wherever you're interviewing. You know, I, I would think we're interviewing here, and or we're talking about this in late September, so... So things that I would have to know about if our interviewing on campus today, Brexit, mm -hmm. what's happening, Boris Johnson and Brexit. Um, let's see, what else? Certainly the, the White House, uh, the Ukraine scandal, if you will, impeachment, uh, the Dodgers and the Houston Astros and the Yankees finishing out their seasons with 100-win seasons. Baseball going into playoffs, the NFL just starting, I'm assuming interviewing in the United States. Certainly, if I were in Britain, I'd be talking about the English Premier League, or I would know about it. Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm not a sports fan. We don't care. You're an adult, and sports are part of the common, commonly associated culture. To be a professional and a polite person in society you cannot avoid talking about things that are 
in the popular culture. Sports has become news. You may disagree with it, but the fact is you can't call yourself conversant in modern society unless you can talk about the things that come up in modern society. Okay. Now you might say to yourself, wow, did, did Mark just say impeachment? Yes, I saw, I said impeachment. That is not you telling me, I hope president Trump gets impeached. It's not someone else telling me, gosh, I think Congress is wrong on this. I disagree with speaker Pelosi. That's not what this is. This is you being conversant with the issues. Okay? It's completely okay to say, well, I certainly read about impeachment. I'm sure the country's in for a wild ride. Uh, imagine that you are able to say that. It's very politically neutral. Compare that with the student who comes and says, and I say to him, hey, what are you reading in the papers lately? He says, you know, I, I, I just generally, you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Well, okay, well, well what are you reading in the news and Twitter? Um, you know, mostly politics, but, you know, wouldn't want to get into that. You know what? You're a pain. I've asked you twice what you're reading, and you to, you're attempting to avoid it. Look, again, if you're reading about politics, you can say, well, I'm certainly reading a great deal about impeachment, or I'm reading a great deal about China celebrating its 70th anniversary. I'm reading about Hong Kong. Uh, all of those things are legitimate to mention. We're not going to make you take a stand. No, we don't want you to. Yes. We want you to know that you are more well-read than your last textbook. And if you're not, you better start studying up on it. Know your current events. Okay. Now we get into the heart of interviewing for most people, which is your answers. And we're going to talk uh, about the two most important answers, which you've already given away. Tell me about yourself and significant accomplishments. Before we do that, though, I just want to mention a couple of things that come up repeatedly when we ask students what they want to know about. Uh, the things that typically bubble to the top of the list are, how do I talk about location and salary? First you of all, don't. you don't <laughs> ever. Uh, and there's a lot of information on the internet today about how you can get the salary you want or how the key is not to be the person that mentions a number first. This is all hogwash. It's all stupidity. They don't know what they're talking about. I never forget. There was a blogger I was reading uh, on a website, and she had a career blog. And uh, she was saying, oh, you definitely don't want to mention numbers first. And when the company asks you what you expect, just say, well, uh, I'd be interested to know what the range is. And again, here we are answering a question with a question. Never forget, folks, the interviewer is in charge of the interview utterly and completely. It's not a two-way street. You're not an equal co-partner. You, you will have more power if you get an offer from us, but not until you do. And, and I, I looked, and this person was 23 years old. And so I went to her background on LinkedIn to try to find out what she'd done. And uh, she had worked in a college admissions office for uh, a college a placement office for a year after graduating from a college I'd never heard of. She has no experience at all. She's never been an interviewer. Maybe she's given practice. Uh, I, I was enormously, <laughs> I thought. And, you what know, if she gets popular. Internet, no one knows you're a dog. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if she happens to tweet a few things that are provocative, but interesting in a way that are drive traffic, suddenly a lot of people are going to be getting real stupid about interviewing. So let's talk about location and salary. First of all, um, you are welcome to say whatever you want about location and salary because it's a free country. 
and we are welcome to say no to you because of your stupidity bringing up things that aren't important. Neither location nor salary matters until you have an offer, and an offer will include specifics about where the job is. You are welcome at any time. We will not be upset at all, uh, unless you've said something contrary to that previously. We won't be upset at all if you turn down our offer because you don't like the location or you don't like the salary. We may be limited in where the openings are, and we understand that you want to live on the West Coast and our offer is in Tampa, Florida. It's okay. We respect that. On the other hand, until you have an offer, where the job is and how much it pays is irrelevant. What's more, spending time talking about location and salary before you have an offer is wasteful because at, but until you have an offer, we're hoping to gain more information about you to help us decide whether or not we're going to give you one. Talking about location and salary is not going to sell us on your skills. You're not talking about skills, traits, abilities, and characteristics if you're talking about location and salary. And in our mind, again, it's irrelevant. We haven't decided. When we decide to offer you, it's irrespective of location and salary. Once we decide we're going to offer you, then we say, okay, where's the job? Now, if you show up in an interview, you're saying, I'm interested. Now, if you think you get to go to informational interviews where you're going to sit back and have a chat with a college recruiter from a major corporation, dude, you need to put down the crack pipe because that doesn't happen. We're not here to banter with you. If you start an interview by saying to me, if I'm interviewing for Google or Facebook or, or PayPal or eBay or whomever, and um, you say, uh, um, I, I start the interview, hey, Tell me a little about yourself. And you say to me, hey, before we get started, I need to know some more about this job. And I would say, well, okay, but I post the job. No, 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 I need to know some more. I, I would probably say in my head, it would be one of two things. Has the company, has the, has the, has the university that I'm interviewing uh, at, have they given me specific instructions that I have to finish every interview? Because if, I have, if they haven't, I'm done right now. Yep. Absolutely done. Okay. Wendy and I have conducted tens of thousands of interviews between us, and we would just be like, no, that's enough. You're not a fit for us. Well, wait, no, maybe once I learn what the details are, maybe we will be a fit. No, uh, I only have 35, 40 minutes here. I don't have time to answer your questions about that. Those questions are irrelevant until we decide that you're the right person for our fit and for our job. And, and lacking that, if I don't know enough to say yes, I have to say no. Boom. Uh, now, when it comes to location, it's okay to have a regional preference. I'd prefer to be in the Southeast, or I'd prefer to be in the South, or I'd prefer to be in the Northeast. All those things are fine. On the other hand, if you tell us, I will only take a job in Chicago, that's not a preference. That's a restriction. And we might say to you, unfortunately, we don't have any jobs in Chicago this year, and so therefore, we won't hire you. And you're lucky at college age. Yeah. 90% of the time, you don't have any restrictions. You could go anywhere. Yeah. And in your own mind, I would say you should be willing to go anywhere because you want the – should is a hard yeah, word. Yeah, should is a wrong word. Yeah. But we want you to be as open as possible because you're starting your career and you want to be flexible before you have a mortgage and a spouse and two kids and so on. But there's another side of this. Look, if your grandparents are, uh, are elderly and you're helping take care of them and they live in the northern suburb of Chicago's, Chicago, it's okay to say – 
Unfortunately, I'm restricted to a job in the greater Chicagoland area. My elderly grandparents rely on me for assistance. There's no problem with that. Now, look, that may actually improve our impression of you in our eyes. We're thinking, wow, what a great kid. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, selfless. Good. Now, look, if we don't have any jobs in Chicago, we're not going to offer you a job. We don't mean any disrespect at all. Okay. That's a restriction. And uh, if you come in and say, yeah, I'm restricted to Chicago, if I don't have any jobs in Chicago, I'm going to stop interviewing you, whether I like you or not. I'm just going to say, well, it doesn't work this time. I wish you luck. You seem like a great kid, but no. And why waste your time and theirs? Yeah. Also, salary. Do not negotiate with us. We have 10 people at corporate headquarters who do nothing but figure out salaries, salary bans, constantly doing... uh, um, what are we, market surveys to be sure that we're paying fairly. Um, you're probably not going to get rich in your first job out of college, but the amount of money you make if you graduated from a top 100 college in America, very quickly, as long as you're able to keep a rein on your expenses, you're going to be rich beyond the dreams of avarice. <laughs> uh, you don't need to make a lot of money to be incredibly financially uh, stable. You just need to avoid spending a lot of money. You live need to live in a smaller apartment. You need to buy a used car uh, or don't get a car at all, okay? You need to eat at home rather than eating out. You need to drink less alcohol. You need to buy, make your coffee at home and carry coffee cups from home rather than stopping at Starbucks, which I love, by the way, and paying seven bucks for a venti vanilla latte. Carry on your student life for as long as possible. Yes. Be cheap. Live small. You know, retire at 45. Actually, don't retire. We don't want you to retire. We want you to be financially independent so you can do more of what you want. But don't retire because retirement is about zero productivity and productivity drives the gross domestic product. And we want a continued standard of living for my kids, your kids, and the future of mankind. That means you have to work. Okay. So let's go back to tell me about yourself and then significant accomplishments. Tell me about yourself. Probably, well, it's the most important first big question you're going to get in an interview. And it is the most widely misunderstood on the internet today because every single place will tell you you're only supposed to have one minute. You're only supposed to talk for one minute. We just, in the last year, did a career tools cast about why a one minute Tell me about yourself. Answer is wrong. Didn't we, Wendy? We did. Yeah. It was the most fun we've had in ages. Yeah. So don't, uh, I'm not going to tell you why. Just go listen to that podcast. You have three to five minutes to lay out your tell me about yourself answer. You're going to do a brief personal review, perhaps one minute talking about how you were raised. And then academics and or professional will take two to three to four minutes. Okay. That's it. The key is you're going to focus on goals and accomplishments. You are not going to do a chronology, and I'm probably dating myself here, but there's a great scene in a movie called Dude, Where's My Car? And I like that movie. It's pretty silly, and it's pretty low budget, low humor, and slapsticky. But, I mean, the title has the word dude, which is one of my (laughs) favorite words. And there's a scene where they drive up to a, a Chinese restaurant that has takeout, And they order, and then the lady behind says, okay, and then? And they say, they add another thing. And then she says, and then? 
and then they add another thing and they say, and then and he he keeps adding and that the the tell me about yourself answer that says well i went to private schools all my life and then i went to a public high school and then i went to west point uh actually i didn't go to private schools i'm just making things up and uh and then i went into the army and then i did this and then i did this and then i did this and then i had this job and then now i'm here you're like, I just read that on your resume. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. The resume is basically bottom to top, and then, and then, and then, and then. You don't need to do that for us. What you want to be doing is talking about the goals you set uh, while you were in high school and, and whether or not you achieved them, and then the goals you set while you were in college. And those goals, if you have a robust personal slash uh, avocational life, a non-academic life, whether it be fraternity, sorority, social club, dinner club, service club, um, athletics, uh, community involvement, it doesn't matter. Sometimes my friends ask me to give their kids uh, who are in college uh, a practice interview, a mock interview. And they make one mistake that when they talk about an, a goal that they set uh, or or they give this as a more in-depth accomplishment later in the interview, they bring up something about their non-academic life, which is fine, some, you know, club or act, act athletics or something, but they bring up something that relates to a political cause or a, pop, a social cause for them, and they get into the cause itself, and they say something like, um, well, we really have to do something for the problem of voices not being heard from rundown areas because we have to do more to empower uh, women to vote because if women voted, more of people that I want to get elected will get elected. Um, it's fine to talk about how to empower women to vote. It's fine to talk about how you're going to register voters in a hard-to-serve part of town, that's fine. But going further and talking about what your political leanings are, that's a mistake. And that's happened a couple of times to me with kids of my friends, so worth noting. And they're pretty smart kids, but um, and they should have known better, but they didn't. And they said, what I really want to. I said, well, okay, then go ahead. You don't need me. Go ahead. Just don't, you know. <laughs> then you won't really want the yeah, job, but yeah, okay. Don't don't come crying to me. Yikes. It's early November and you've not met your training goals for the organization. You know that you need to have your folks hitting the ground running in early 2020. Well, we actually have a few client training days open before the end of the year and you can get 30 of your managers or professionals trained by one of our Manager Tools presenters coming to you. Any of our three standard client training days, Effective Manager, Effective Communicator or Effective Hiring Manager may be just what you need to close out the year and get your team poised for a great start in the new year. At $15,000 for the full day, with licensing included, you can get your folks trained for just $500 per attendee. Contact Maggie at maggie at manager-tools.com. Okay, significant accomplishments. This is the most important question you'll get in interviews, because while tell me about yourself, is three to five minutes long, and significant accomplishments are two. You're going to get four or five or six significant accomplishment questions uh, rather than one or two. Um, and, well, if you only get one significant accomplishment question, it probably means you did poorly. 
Uh, one other thing about tell me about yourself, I want to go back and mention this. You will be interrupted in your tell me about yourself answer to talk about the decisions you made. Why did you choose that college? Why that sorority? Why that major? And so on. Those are all questions that are normal to introduce to you the concept of probing. Probing uh, in an interview is normal because in normal conversation, you are interrupting your buddy, your buddy is interrupting you. It happens all the time. Probing is to get more details of an answer so that if they sample three or four parts in more depth of the answer, they believe they have a more full sample of what you were doing rather than just the high-level overview of what you were doing. Okay, so significant accomplishments. You're going to get questions like, tell me about a time where you had to set a tough goal against a timeline. Tell me about a time where you had to let a, lead a group of people to accomplish something as a team. Tell me about a time where you had very limited resources uh, or you're, you, you successfully achieved a goal when resources were limited during mid-project. Uh, tell me about a time where you had to apologize. And how did that go? What was the incident and how did you handle it? Uh, tell me about a time where you set a challenging goal and one of the key uh, abilities that you used to achieve it was persuasion. Tell me about a time then you set a challenging goal and missed it. Yes, exactly. Yes. So those are examples of accomplishment questions, behavioral interviewing questions. This is where you're going to pull out those three to five cards in your head you've already studied in advance, and you're going to say, okay, I, I know the two or three or four that I'm going to use, I think, in this interview, unless they throw you a big curveball. So here's the first thing you do. In one sentence at the beginning, without more than one comma, and I would even say no commas at all, Start with the end of the accomplishment and one sentence, okay? For instance, let's say uh, Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers was being interviewed this December for another job, and they said, give me an example of a significant accomplishment. And Clayton would say, I was named the MVP of the World Series this past fall that the Dodgers won. Okay, you know, that's an accomplishment. What he doesn't say is, well, I need to take it back to the beginning of the season where I set a goal that the Dodgers would win the World Series and I would be named Series MVP. Here's all the things I did throughout the season, okay? Well, that doesn't work because we don't want to tell a story. We definitely don't want a chronology. What's more, imagine that he said, he didn't say that he set a goal of that. He just says, well... I think to answer that question about an accomplishment that I'm most proud of, let me tell you the story of my season of 2019. Well, I don't want a story. And if you're telling me the story, but I don't know what the goal is, I don't know how to evaluate relative to the goal, whether I think the things you're doing will help you to get to where you're going. So you have to start with the end, the accomplishment, and you must do it in one sentence. One of my most significant accomplishments was being named Rookie of the Year and Salesman of the Year in my, obviously, rookie year, my first year at Procter & Gamble. If you're Emmett Smith, my, uh, one of my most significant accomplishments was being named Super Bowl MVP the year the Cowboys won the Super Bowl, okay? Um, uh, well, one of my most significant accomplishments was being the first man to step on the moon. <laughs> you know, if you're Neil Armstrong, you don't have to get interviewed. Then you're going to give some background. That's one sentence right up front. And then you're going to give some background. The background might sound 
for me, for instance, in my sales job, I would say, uh, so I was a salesman for Procter & Gamble selling Crest toothpaste. I had a territory that went all the way from West Houston, all the way down to Brownsville, Harlingen, and McAllen. And I took over a territory that had not been manned in a while. And I thought there was significant opportunity for growth. And my job was to call on dentists and grocery stores and pharmacies for the raft of products that I was representing. That gives you some context to help you understand what I'm talking about. The next thing I'm going to do is describe my approach to the problem, the plan that I had. I'm not going to say I did this and then I did this and then I did this and then I did this, bouncing around between three or four themes. I'm going to say this. There were three things that I determined would give me the greatest chance of making significant sales increases. One was maximize the time I spent in high-volume dentist's office. And that meant, admittedly, cutting back on the number of visits I made to low-volume dentist's office. The second thing I did was align myself with the Houston Dental Society. And the third thing I did was identify an exceptionally high-volume chain of dental centers, and I attempted to make a large sale to them. Those were my three planned avenues of attack, if you will, in this situation. That's my concept, and then I'm going to talk about each one. Let me now talk about spending time with the high-volume dental offices, which would lead to more recommendations and more sales. Here's what I did. Boom, 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 boom. Then I'll talk about concept two, then I'll talk about concept three. Again, I'm not talking in chronological order, I'm talking conceptually. And then the last thing I say is, and luckily all three of those things came together perfectly, and I had the largest sales increase uh, of any territory in the country. And what's more, that led to me being the number one sales territory in the country. And then because I was a rookie, uh, it happened that I was not only salesman of the year, but rookie of the year as well. That's my accomplishment. That's it. It's like an essay, right? Introduction, body, conclusion. Yep. It's just like the classic essay, introduce the idea, three body paragraphs, conclusion. You don't need three. You could have two if you want. There are maybe two key things that you did, but you certainly don't want to tell a chronology. So it might sound like this. An accomplishment I've prou I'm proud of is when I did X. Let me give you a little background. And by the way, folks, when I give this answer, if I were ever to be interviewed again, heaven forbid... I would actually say, let me give you a little bit of background because that anchors me to tell me I'm in the next phase of my answer, which is me giving some background to help the person understand, you know, I'm setting the scene for them, if you will, based on the fact that we're in a new place in this little movie, this documentary I'm doing. Uh, and then I'll say, here's how I approached it. And then I'll lay out the concepts. And then here's what we did on this first concept for the next concept. I did this and this and this. And then to handle the third thing, here's what I did. And then at the end I say, and the results were thus and such and so and so. Easy. Yeah. That's it, everybody. We're a little bit further along. We've got one more session to go to finish the basics of Mark's routine annual college talk. Hope you're enjoying. See you next week.